and welcome to the Top Order podcast. We've been keen to take a closer look at the women's game for a little while now and who better to join us than someone who has played 47 games for the White Ferns, commentated for Sky Sports all around the world and is currently preparing for the New Zealand domestic season with the Canterbury Magicians. Frankie Mackay, welcome to the Top Order podcast. Thank you very much and what a kind introduction as well. Our our pleasure. Well, look, we're very keen to talk about your own career and in general terms about the women's game. But let's start with current events. Um, Baldy, who's to my left and the token Australian on the podcast, has just got a little bit of stick about the the ABs. But I think um, he's going to sort of be glowing with pride now as we talk about this White Ferns Australia series. We're trying to talk about you know those results in in perspective. So. You know, is this Australian side one of the best teams that we've ever seen, both in the women's game and world cricket in general? Yeah, comfortably, I think so. I think it's it's always hard to judge because the the women's sides don't play as much cricket as their their male counterparts, so that always makes it a little bit difficult. I think to equal that that winning run of their their men's team, I think it took them, uh, you know, over three years to do it, and, and the men did it in something like nine months. So that kind of shows the the longevity that that side has had as well, but also makes it quite hard to judge, I guess, just how successful they are. But look, they they have set the tone in women's cricket for a long time now, and I think that probably most countries around the world are, are trying to replicate their program or are actually sitting down, scratching their heads, thinking, how do we keep up with these guys? Let alone, how do we get ahead of them? What do you think it is about their program that's given them so much success? Are there any specifics that you would say, hey, they're doing this and other nations just aren't able to, you know, invest that amount of cash or time or, you know, what do you think it is? It's probably all of the above, to be fair. I think the weather as well plays a massive part of of it. I mean, those girls, they're they're out there training, especially the ones who are based Brisbane, they're they're almost able to train on grass. Look, it's quality grass. Look, it's year-round. And I think that no matter how much money you invest. I know here that there's some marquees that get it set up so they have the chance to, to train outdoors. There's some up at the Mount up at Tauranga and then out at Lincoln as well. So we're trying to do it here in New Zealand but it's just not the same as being able to get out in the middle of a, a cricket field, have a good run round to basically be able to do that year round. Combine it with the fact that they have such a big player base there that the sport is just going from strength to strength. I mean just the fact that they had you know, 86, almost 87,000 people turn up to a World Cup final shows that there is an appetite for women's cricket. So all of a sudden, you've got 10, 12, 14-year-old girls. All they want to do is play cricket for Australia. They want to be part of the women's big bash. They want to be involved in it. It's a cool sport. It's it's something that that they just really want to be a part of. Whereas I don't think, especially in New Zealand, that we've reached that status quite yet. I think England probably had the chance to do that after winning a few World Cups and didn't quite capitalise on it. And then it hasn't really taken off it to the same extent in, in your India and your Pakistan. And, and they have just, just struggled along a wee bit. And then on top of all that, you add in finance, you, you add in the money side of things with those Australian cricketers. They're earning good money now, so they have the ability to be full-time cricketers not have to worry about having to work full time or part time alongside it, or have to scrape to to kind of meet meet ends. But it's it's such a hard thing because you look at it and you look at the players that are in this white fence team, especially you look at the English side as well, even the Indian side, and it's not as though the players are that much worse. But I think once you get into that Australian culture, it is that really that winning culture. They have the ability to just it seems like keep churning out player after player. I mean. Elise Perry doesn't play. They bring in another fantastic player. Meg Lanning has to miss the last game of the season. It's a teenager who gets the opportunity to bat at three and doesn't really look out of place. So it's the depth, it's the money. I'd assume the coaching and the resourcing that goes on alongside that as well makes a big difference. If you've got full-time athletes, you're likely to have a bigger full-time support staff that goes along with it. So I think right now they're, they're really riding the wave of success and, and it does make it really hard for other teams to actually compete with them. You've painted an incredible picture there of, of I guess, their strength. But on the flip side, I suppose, New Zealand, we went over there, we um, we chatted amongst ourselves last week and I said it kind of felt a bit defeatist saying that I actually felt like we we can take a bit out of the series because we competed. You know, we we competed with a side that is on that level. Do you think that's sort of fair? Do you think the White Ferns are kind of feeling okay? Obviously, apart from that, maybe that last game um, about their performances in this this series. 
Yeah, it's a little bit of a hard one to know. I think that last game really did sour the the whole trip for them and, and probably for the public watching as well. But mm. uh, for me, I think when they when they first went over there, I really thought it was a brilliant chance to actually tip the Aussies up. The the Kiwi squad had had the opportunity to be, to be training here in New Zealand for a long time. They had two weeks once they got over to Australia to be together to be training day in, day out, multiple sessions a day. They had a whole floor of the hotel dedicated to just them, just the support staff. The hotel um, did a gym up on their floor as well, so it was pretty easy to, to make training work. Obviously, the, the quarantine situation is, is a little bit unique and, and probably posed a few challenges as well, but one of the biggest criticisms I, I suppose players have here in New Zealand is that players don't necessarily get enough contact time or enough time together as a squad to really form those really, really strong relationships, strong bonds that, that you potentially see in an Australian side. So you kind of looked at it and you thought, heck, this is this is the time that we're actually going to go over there, especially a few of their players, the, the ones stuck in Victoria, they, they hadn't even had the opportunity really to, to be out training at all. So I thought we potentially had the upper hand. We, we maybe had a chance to, I mean, I made big predictions and said, yeah, we're going to win the Rose Bowl finally. We're going to win the T20 series as well. So... Maybe my expectations were a little bit out of whack with, with what was going on, but we pretty much had a full squad to, to be selecting from. Elise Perry obviously missing both series as well. I thought that really tipped things in our favour, but just weren't able to, to adjust to the to the surface over there. It probably spun a bit more than they expected it to. Didn't have the obviously the confidence to, to bring in some other spinners alongside Amelia Kerr with Lee Cashbrick and Anna Peterson missing. That does leave a bit of a hole, but they had other spinners in the squad. They didn't look to utilise them at all. Just went in with a very right arm, same, same attack, apart from probably Leah Tahuhu with a bit more pace about her and obviously merely a curve bowling leg spin. But yeah, it just seemed like didn't adapt, didn't get the runs on the board that they would have liked, found themselves just behind the game pretty much constantly, and, and that's how the series ended up as well. And as someone who bowls spin, you must have sort of, you know, obviously you're wanting the White Ferns to do well, but you must appreciate the quality of, of that Australian spin attack. That's something we certainly talked about last week as well. Yeah, and they're all so young with it as well. It's, it's not as though they're really hardened veterans of the game. They're, they're young, they're talented, they're, they're fresh. They they almost have that no fear. They haven't really failed a lot in their career, so so they only really look at successes that they've had and a kind of every time they play it it seems like they're improving they're adding another string to their bow it's another delivery it's the ability to use the crease a bit better to take pace off the ball put pace on and it just felt like you looked at their spin attack and it was so well rounded you've got a leg spinner you've got a left arm orthodox who actually really does genuinely spin the ball which you don't see too often You've got another left arm also who's just super consistent, just barely bowls a bad ball. And then you've got an off spinner who can come in. She's mainly picked as a batsman, but she can bowl a few offies and, and is probably good enough to make her way into any team internationally around the world as a bowler alone. So when you start looking at a team with the ability to put that many spinners in their lineup, it's such an advantage. We, we see it domestically, we see it internationally. Spinners in the short form really do take a lot of wickets, especially women's cricket. They, having good spinners in your side is just gold. The ability to take pace off the ball just makes it so much more difficult. And, and that Allen Border field wicket, they, they played all six games on it. So, I mean, the groundsman did a fantastic job to, to get such a good surface up, but you probably had to think it was going to spin at some stage and, and it pretty much spun from game one. So, yeah, they, they were a class apart and unfortunately we didn't have the resourcing or, or the confidence in the resources that we did have to, to put around Amelia Kerr and just makes her job far too hard. She's an exceptionally talented player. She's one of the best players going around, especially here come to under 21. She's probably the best player in the world. So, yeah, it would have been nice to see a, a bit more support around her so then she doesn't have to play the wicket-taking role, the containing role and everything in between. She can actually just adapt and, and change things up almost within an over if she knows she's got someone down the other end who can do the same. What positives can the White Ferns take out of that series and who do you think maybe has enhanced their reputation out of the back of that tour? That's a good question. I think it was really great to see Amy Satterthwaite back, I think. She looked like she hadn't missed any international cricket at all. So that's that's a pretty cool story to, to go away and have your first child and then, you know, nine months later be, be back on the field and back playing international cricket and look like you're still one of the best players in the world. So I think that's 
it's pretty phenomenal and, and there's a lot of hard work that's gone into that as well but it probably changes the perception of a few female cricketers too it was probably in New Zealand always thought that if you wanted to have a family that you really needed to wait until your cricket career was done to do that or or you needed to prioritise having a family over uh, playing cricket and, and realise that that potentially was going to be the end of your career so I think that's that's pretty exciting to to have someone like that as a role model within your side. I think anyone really, the the fear factor is always there with someone like a Sophie Devine or Susie Bates. So anytime you turn out with those players in your side, the Australians know them well. They still have the fear of bowling to them, the fear that they will be able to just snatch a game away from them. So those two were probably... They didn't get the runs that they would have liked, but they definitely didn't damage their reputations either. And, and probably the one who, with the ball, who looked like she caused a few problems was Rosemary Mear. But I think probably outside that, you're not looking at too many others. Maddie Green showed real glimpses of what she can do. And, and potentially as well, she's a bit of a product of the Aussie system. She's been in and out of, of teams here in New Zealand and hasn't probably had the consistent opportunity that she would have liked and goes over to the Big Bash, plays with Brisbane Heat, wins a title, opens the batting for them and then comes back looking a million bucks. So she's probably one that as well has continued to to increase her standing in the team. She's probably now one of the first names to do right down, especially in that T20 format. So there's definitely a few positives to take from it. But yeah, on the whole, I thought it was, uh, unfortunately, it was, uh, it was a pretty disappointing effort. And we're probably... We're probably pretty lucky that, in hindsight, that that Women's World Cup that's going to be staged at home, we're pretty lucky that that's actually been pushed back a year. So where to here from the White Ferns? I mean, that World Cup has obviously been postponed for a year, but there's lots of positive signs for New Zealand cricket. What do the White Ferns need to do to try and close that gap on Australia, England and India ahead of the Women's World Cup? Well, I think that more cricket needs to be provided to them. I think it had almost been it had been the best part of a year since they played international cricket uh, when the South African side came here at the start of last summer, and then that was leading into a to a um, World Cup, which they competed in and, and didn't probably get the result they'd like. But I think it's it's very difficult to do it when you're not consistently playing international cricket. The jump from Domestic to international is large, and that's the same in, in any country worldwide. So we're not alone in that. It's just how can we get more cricket? I have heard rumour that the English women are coming over looking like a February, March tour, and they're trying to get Australia to come over and play a tri-series in that time as well. So that would be wonderful if, if that could happen. And then it's just the ability to try and find games against probably the West Indies, India, South Africa, who are probably sitting at, at our level at the moment, it's trying to get as many games as you can against them. So you actually create a bit of a culture of winning, of getting used to winning the close games, of being the better side, of putting teams away, of being really clinical in whatever you do, rather than that almost being under constant pressure or feeling like you're under constant pressure against an Australia or an England. So I think more cricket is always the answer. If we could get some A tours going, that would be fantastic as well. The ability to try and blood your your new players or players who've had a standout domestic season to try and get them into international cricket of some form. I, I always like having an A series for them to do that in rather than straight into, into international cricket. But yeah, I think it's just more cricket and, and our players just have to be a bit more clinical, a bit more ruthless and, and make sure that whenever they're playing, be it domestic cricket, A cricket, even club cricket, that actually they're doing things well and, and they're dominating at those levels. What is the barrier to getting more cricket? Is it just purely financial? Yeah, I would I would suggest so. And also the fact that teams worldwide, they're not necessarily full-time professionals either. So it, it does put a little bit of a limit on how much other teams are willing to, to travel as well. Even if a New Zealand side is really keen to host or, or is keen to travel, it's not necessarily always met by other sides as well. And that it is at the moment set up with the the 50 over cricket that you have to play everyone home and away within a two-year cycle. So that has made an increase in cricket, which has been really useful, but also depending on scheduling and, and when you play what teams and how many tri-series you play with multiple teams there, it can mean you actually do go large stretches of time without cricket. So there's some positives and negatives to it, but yeah, I guess the, the overriding thing, unfortunately at the moment, that it always comes down to is, is money and all sporting organisations at the moment are, are fighting to, to keep, themselves, keep themselves afloat, I guess. 
you mentioned that MCG final with, you know, over 85,000 people in the ground. So that the game is sort of continuing to grow in stature. You also mentioned England, I think, hopefully visiting in the new year. I was listening to an interview with Tammy Beaumont, who I think is in quarantine at the moment in Adelaide, um, awaiting joining up her big bash side. Is there a worry that with COVID and the schedules getting so stretched for the men's game that that might be to the detriment of some of the women's games, given the availability of grounds and things like that? And, you know, is that a real worry, do you think, for the game at the moment? Always, always, absolutely. And I think it tends, it will unfortunately be the women's side of, of a game that will tend to struggle a bit more and struggle for that financing from, from their national body. I think there's a really big push. I mean, we're seeing it at the moment. Basically, do anything possible to make sure that the All Blacks can can have cricket to play, so uh, can have rugby to play. So I think, yeah, there, there is always the danger. I think in any sport that the women's game, because it doesn't necessarily bring in as much money, you're not. It's not a money making venture. If anything, it's probably costing. Um, it makes it really hard to keep pushing and keep promoting the women's game, and I think teams and, and nations that are, that are really keen to to keep promoting it and to keep building on the success that it is having. They will find a way to do it, but we'd be lying if it's not coming at, a, at an increasing cost and, and potentially a cost that's going to put some real financial pressure on, on associations, on national boards, and potentially on the ICC as well. And I guess in general terms, there's a lot of innovation happening in the game and I'm not necessarily going to point to the 100 in uh, in England as something that is particularly innovative because that's got its critics. But are there any particular innovations that you think would be specific to the women's game that would help with that growth and help potentially even with participation as well? Well, I think the biggest thing actually that's going to happen in New Zealand this season is the deal with Spark is that actually... Some of our domestic cricket is going to be broadcast free to air, so that'll be on TV One. And I think that is the biggest change that we could possibly make to cricket in this country is to make it more accessible to more people. There is always, I guess, the the criticism of cricket that it is that that wealthy, that upper middle class, predominantly white sport as well. So if we can try and break down some of those barriers, break down some of those stereotypes, make it a little bit more accessible to people. People get to know the players more. They they all of a sudden get to to have their favourite player, and, and and I guess that's where social media and, and stuff comes in as well. As you actually can get a lot more access to players, and I think once, especially young kids, they they recognise faces, they recognise names, they've got a favourite player. All of a sudden, they want to go and watch. They want to be involved in it. The next thing, you know, they want to grow up and they want to be a white fan. They want to be a magician or or represent one of the other sides as well. And I think that creates a really positive shift in your sport that it actually becomes cool it becomes something people want to be involved in and that's when I think you start to see more and more investment and yeah it's a long-term plan we're talking about 10 year old kids at the moment so I mean hopefully by the time that they're playing international cricket that's another 10 years but it's it's trying to put those things in motion and and make it so cricket is the summer sport once again. And and I think once you start doing that, the the innovation side of things almost takes care of itself because you just find ways to make cricket enjoyable for for whatever level is playing it. And whether that is shortening it down further, whether that's even at lower levels, you know, you you can't get out first ball, those kind of things that, that we always play in the backyard. But it's trying to remove those barriers as to what makes the game hard work or, or what makes people lose enjoyment or never really get that enjoyment of or love of the game that, that a lot of us have. So, yeah, I think the free-to-ear thing is going to be massive. And, look, I mean, yeah, 100 has its, has its detractors, but I think any time we see a new form of cricket, or us cricket geeks, cricket nuffies, we're always excited to see how it goes. I mean, T10 cricket, that, that's come in, and, and that's, that's um, an interesting watch. I mean, I've definitely sat down and watched a bit of beach cricket and, and things like that before. So, yeah, there, there's always a market. There's always someone who'll watch it. There's always a way to make the game more appealing exactly what that is I'm not sure but I think it's really cool that we're going to have some free to air TV. You mentioned that free to air stuff I'm guessing quite a lot of it will be the Super Smash stuff with uh, the double headers the WBBL has kind of gone the opposite route of having standalone tournament as players do, do you guys have a preference and and I suppose you know do you have a thought on you know what is better for the the women's game? 
yeah, I think it depends a little bit just what what stage you're at, really. I think uh, probably almost 10 years ago is probably when at an international level they first started having double headers for the the T20 World Cups, and that became that was actually quite cool to to be part of that when that first happened. Is you know you'd be warming up to play a game, and it's like oh, you know, there's there's all these superstars sitting in the crowd, you know, watching. They're they're waiting for their hit later on. So I think. There was definitely some positives from that, and in, in that it does grow your brand, and, and people are a little bit more interested in what is happening purely because it's right in front of them. So, I think when you're at that stage of trying to develop your game, which is probably where New Zealand is at at the moment, it's actually really cool. I think it's really awesome to to be able to play alongside the men's game. It probably still continue. You have to continue to market it as a different product because it's it's not. Especially T20 level, it's at the game. Whilst it is both T20 cricket, it's not exactly the same. There, there's a lot of different kind of nuances and, and tactics that go to both men's and women's cricket. So as long as that keeps keeps being stressed, I think, yeah, especially for for kids, they they just want to watch cricket. They they love the the fact that they can go and watch a men's team and a women's team, and, and the gender doesn't really matter to them. So I think that's been a really cool shift to see to see happen and, and we've really enjoyed playing the double headers. It's been really nice to see the way that the men's side have got on board with it. Lately they, they've always played the second game so it has meant that they've had to slightly adjust the way they go about things with only roughly half an hour between games so it's been really cool to see the buy-in from the men's sides as well around yeah, that we actually want to make it work, that it's not no, that makes our life more difficult no, women's cricketers, no it's, it should be all about us so that's been really pleasing to, to see that shift. And I think now, though, in Australia, what they've done is they've almost gone past that point of, of getting the recognition from, from their male peers, of getting the recognition of the public. And now they are actually at a point that they're strong enough that they have got a product so that they can market as a standalone and people will still go and watch the games. They'll pay to go. They'll pay to have subscriptions to be able to access that content. So... I think it almost comes in waves and, and probably where we're sitting at the moment is I think there's only positives to, to playing alongside the men in those double headers. So hopefully, you know, we, we can sit down in three or four years' time we can talk about how wonderful the growth and the development's been in, in New Zealand and, and with New Zealand cricket and now we're ho- trying to host a standalone tournament. But I think for now it, it's just perfect to, to get some of those prime time slots. I think there's a few opportunities throughout the year that we at the women's competition we, we will actually play the second game so hopefully you get some people who've come in they've watched the men's game and they say hey we'll stick around for half an hour an hour we'll watch the woman hopefully we put a good product out that's then I think when you get cricketers that say yeah actually we're going to go and watch them because they are good enough it is enjoyable we are going to stay around so yeah it's it's definitely an exciting time to be to be part of women's cricket that's for sure. I'm glad to hear you say that as a from a player's point of view because I mean I think um, you know for casual fans and and even just us around the table we haven't really had the opportunity to watch a lot of women's cricket on TV and and you know having it in that format certainly makes it a lot easier to to just ex- access that so yeah it's certainly certainly from my point of view I feel like it's a, a really good thing but you, you know touched on the the WBBL so the New Zealand stars are going over there and playing at the moment. We've got the Super Smash a little bit later. Has there been any chat about potentially some of the Australian stars coming over and, and sort of bolstering our sides? Yeah, I think there will definitely be some chatter around that. I think there's already some some people trying to, to get in touch and trying to get in teams over here with the, mainly around the 50 over World Cup and, and trying to have the opportunity to come over and, and play a domestic season leading up to that and, and get experience in the conditions. So I think that's a big almost kind of bargaining chip there as well to say, hey, we'd actually really like, you know, obviously we don't want to flood the, flood the market with everyone having internationals galore on their side, but I think definitely the the ability to get a couple of, of world-class players to come over and play in your domestic competition, yep, that strengthens the whole thing up. But it's also the learning that, that people can do, the discussions that people can have, even with the players in their own team, I think can be can be really valuable. And, and I think, for especially for young players who want to be international cricketers, they want to be full-time cricketers, they want it to be their job, the more time they can spend with, with players who are actually living that lifestyle, I just think is, is so beneficial. So 
I'd love to see it. I'd, I'd love to see a few uh, come across the ditch and, and play a bit of cricket here because it's, it's definitely pleasing now that the, the windows don't clash like they once did. And on that New Zealand domestic summer, the Wellington Blaze were pretty dominant last year. Can anyone take them down? And uh, how are your magicians uh, shaping up this season? Yeah, I think we're we're actually shaping up pretty good. So hopefully we're the team that, that knocks them off top, top spot in both competitions. That would be lovely. But yeah, I, th- I think it's really... It's it's almost really hard for for that Wellington Blaze side at the moment because they've got so many white ferns to try and give enough opportunity to those players to be pushing for for international selection and to be putting their name up in lights. But then it's it's their next year of of players. It's what I would probably call middle management within a team. Is how do you keep developing them? How do you keep them keen? How do you keep giving them opportunity? Because the, they're going to miss a few of their players who are away with the with the big bash, so that does impact slightly on the one day competition here. They'll miss a few rounds, and then also if that that February England tour does go ahead, it means that they'll probably miss the last couple of rounds of the domestic uh, fifty over competition as well. So I think when when we sit down and look at exactly where we're going to try and tip teams up, I think we we really look to target that fifty over competition because. I think we, we still stay quite strong. We've got Kate Ibrahim coming back from maternity leave as well and, and a few senior players who can really contribute and also a couple in that, that middle group that are really starting to to push towards New Zealand honours. So it's exciting to see that. I think we've had a really good winter as well. We started, we, we initially thought the season was going to be a wee bit earlier than what it was. That was the, the initial communication that, that everything was going to be done and dusted before that, that Women's World Cup. But then obviously with that getting pushed back, the season has been dragged out as well. So we've been training since the 1st of July and it's it's getting to that point that everyone is just absolutely rearing to go. But we've still got the you know, best part of another month to go. So, yeah, I think everyone's just, just excited to, to get back into cricket, excited to look at our squad and think, yeah, we actually look pretty good on paper. We actually have got a red-hot crack to, to get into that final place in finals cricket. And then when you look at the Super Smash as well, I think it's really exciting the fact that all White Ferns are going to be available for that entire tournament. I think that makes a massive difference. I know we're really excited to get Amy and Leah back. It's been a long time since since we've had consistent cricket from them, had them consistently available. So that makes a massive difference by the time you get those two coming back in and, and Kate coming back in. It's almost like six players, and, and that's the joy of, of classy all-rounders is, is they can fill a lot of roles for us, and, and then we can use some of our other players and probably roles that are a bit more specific to how they play as well. So we're, we're pretty excited, and look, I think when you've been as successful as the Wellington Blaze, have been. I think that always just puts a big target right in the middle of your back. So I know that that all the teams around the country they're they're pretty excited to to have a crack at the blaze, and and everyone wants to be the team to tip them up. So that's always a, a fun way to get your competition started too. And and look, I think for Canterbury, you know, probably ten years ago, we were that team that that everyone just wanted to be all the time, and and the celebrations when they did. They really steeled you to make sure that that never happened again. So I, I know those those Wellington Blaze girls. They'll be they'll be working pretty hard, and, and they've got a pretty good support crew around them as well to make sure that that plans and everything are, are on point. So yeah, it's it's just shaping up to be a really good season. We're on we're playing on the best grounds. There's the opportunity as well this year to play under lights for for a couple of games too. So the games all heading in the right direction. It's it's yeah, it really is just an exciting time to be around and, and I guess as someone with a, a few more years on their career than, than some of the others it's it's actually really exciting to see some of the talent coming through as well and, and just see how much of the game has changed that you know you've got high school kids that come in and bat in the nets and they're reverse sweeping and slog sweeping and it's like oh heck I think when I was 16 I could only play a defensive shot and maybe a front foot drive and a pull shot so the game has, has really motored along and it's it's pretty cool to see now well, we're all 36 and above and none of us have got that many shots in our locker now. So, um, And Lippy was just buzzing as you, as you were talking about everyone wanted to take the blaze down. We've just um, done a little round robin of all the men's captains from around the country and everybody wants to take down the Cantab. So um, he's just grinning when, you know, someone else might have a target on their back in, uh, in the domestic game. Ah, uh, that's a good way to turn up to play domestic cricket. It's it's good fun when you know that other teams are just absolutely gunning for you. It makes for some good 
competitive, pretty hard-nosed games. And, and I think, like, for me, that's, that's always just exciting. I love it when, when you get that real rivalry. I've spent a good chunk of my career being being in the team that everyone wants to beat, that everyone takes great delight in, in beating and, you know, belting out their winning song right outside your changing room door. So, yeah, I think it, it tends to swing in roundabouts a bit. And, and when you look at that Wellington Blaze side on, on paper, they are, uh, hands down the strongest team, but you know cricket's not played on paper, so we got pretty close to to knocking them over at, at Hagley last year. So we'd love to be the first team that that does it, but I guess more importantly, we'd we'd love to be the team that does it in the final too. And in terms of your role this year for the Magicians, it looked like you maybe floated up and down the order for them last year. Where do you think your best spot in that batting order is for Canterbury? I think one day cricket. It's it's definitely opening. I think that's that's the the role that I've played the the majority of my career doing. I think I've been very successful in that spot as well, and it gives you a nice ability to to control the game from there as well. If if you are in good nick and you can manage to bat for a long period of time, I think even just the fact that I am on the the more experienced side now, it does make it easier for for younger players if they're going to come in and bat. You know, four, five, six, and and if it is a slightly difficult situation, I remember when I was I was a youngster, and and to have a, an experienced head down the other end, it it actually made made the job a lot easier, and and a lot of you just pick up a lot of little tips and and, and help and a little learning here and there from them, and and that's it's kind of nice to be at this point in my career and and sit back and think, yeah, actually, you know. I've gone from the youngest who, who just tried to soak up all that stuff from, from the senior players to now recognising that, hey, that, that senior player is actually me. So what can I pass on to these these youngins coming through? So that's good fun. And, and then the T20 stuff, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. I think a couple of seasons ago, I had a real breakout year with the bat in T20 cricket and, and thought I'd probably crack that format finally. And, and last year was actually pretty disappointing. I think I, I really struggled to to score quickly enough to justify betting in that top spot. So I think it's it's probably it's probably pretty likely that, that with Amy coming back into the side, she probably bats in that top order. Maybe we look to, to give the opportunity to some of our, our youngsters or, or our middle management to just say, hey, go out there with a, with a free licence and if it all turns to custard, then I'll be that old head in the middle trying to get us to a score. But... I mean, if if I had to pick my preference, it's always it's always facing the first ball. I think that's that's a really it's it's an enjoyable way to play cricket is to go out there with a few butterflies and and face the new rock and think, heck, uh, I go by the logic. The first one's either a jaffer that's going to see you walking back into the pavilion, shaking your head and telling everyone what a good ball it was, or or you get a bit of a loosener that means you can get get a get away pretty early. So. Yeah, I, I like the the challenge of opening up. I like the challenge to try and set the tone and and set the game off in the right direction. But you know, needs needs must. So if it means that I've got to slide down the order to make sure that we've we've got a good chance of winning some games, then more than happy to do that. And I might just need to do a little bit more work on my my sprint technique to try and keep up with some of the whippets that, that we've got in the middle order. <laughs> You've talked a little bit about tactics there and potentially your role in applying those tactics to different games. How much do women's teams focus on things like those kind of power plays and matchups and the analytics piece? Have you got an analyst that's giving you the same kind of information or is there still a little bit more feel and intuition in terms of those sort of tactical discussions? Yeah, a little bit of both. I think the tactics is probably something that's that's been underused in women's cricket. You don't tend to get, obviously you don't tend to have the same support staff at a, at a domestic level and then you don't tend to get the same amount of just cricket tragics who, who just want all the information, the nuffies that will just sit down and work out exactly what plan to what batsman at what point of the match. So it doesn't tend to be as as enjoyed, I guess, that aspect of the game by a lot of female players and, and it potentially even just comes back to the fact that women probably watch less cricket than than the men's players do. They probably have less uh, tactical conversations and, and just involve themselves in that, that sphere a little bit less. So that's something that, that is definitely changing and we are trying to change. I'm the, the absolute um, nuffy in, in the magicians and, and I sit down and, and we've got a, well, I like to think it's a pretty comprehensive scouting document that, that probably sits at 
you know, 18 pages long per team that, that we've kind of compiled over the last few years. So I think there's a few nuggets in there that are, that are pretty handy to, to have up our sleeves against some opposition. But, yeah, we're, we're definitely looking at Canterbury. We've got a few uh, interns who've come on board uh, this year who are going to work in that analytics piece and, and try and uh, find a few more little things that, that could help us out along the way. And then, and then it's just how we apply them. It's just getting people to, to buy into that being important and that I think once people start to see a little bit of success with, with a bit more tactics and a bit more planning around that, then that's when people tend to jump on board with it pretty quickly. So, yeah, it's it's definitely uh, a work in progress. And, and once I think you can try and get people to see the merit in it, then, then you can get a lot of benefit from it. But you also, you don't want to lose that instinctive feel for the game. You don't, you don't want to, uh, I guess, play cricket by numbers is, is the kind of phrase that I would use around it. You want people to still have the ability to make decisions in the moment, to, to be able to read what's going on themselves and not be out there thinking, oh, what did, that, what did page four say about this person and what are we meant to be doing here? So... It's a bit of a balancing act at the moment, but I think probably with where the women's game is, the the more information you can give players, the the better that is. And then it's just about giving them the, the tools to be able to utilise that information as best as possible. Do you think that's going to be likely to change as we get more coverage of more women's games in, in kind of more and more countries around the world? Do you think the women's game is going to gravitate slowly towards more, being more analytics-driven, or do you think that women are more likely to be able to maintain a good feel for the game and and trust their instincts in terms of what happens on the field? I hope that it stays with a mix of both, but it'll definitely head more towards that, that analytical side just because there is all of a sudden, there is all this footage available. You know, we, we used to sit down and be, you know, you're working out, okay, well, you know, when we play against Auckland, that fielder normally fields at mid-wicket, so they've taken four catches, so they've probably been fielding at mid-wicket again. Okay, let's go with that as our plan. So, you know, there used to be a little bit of guesswork and, and that kind of stuff, and, and even sometimes you wouldn't even get wagon wheels from the game, so you're kind of looking at it like, great, they hit 10 boundaries and the 50 balls that they faced, but where did they hit them and how did they hit them and did they actually nick nine of those through the slips and then finally play a nice cover drive? So there was always that element of, of slight guesswork to it and, and I think a bit a bit more boring and heavy going in terms of how to try and figure that out. But now if you can, you know, sit people down in, in front of a computer and have them just look through some footage. A lot of players like to sit down and watch themselves play as well. I think we're still at that novel stage that, that that's actually good fun. And then slowly trying to, to progress that into what can you see in other people's techniques. And it's all, you You actually have to learn all of it. Uh, it's It's around... Yeah, it's not as simple as just, oh, they hit the ball through the offside, they hit the ball on the leg side, these are the boundary fielders we need. It's even getting people to just read the subtle movements, where people hold the bat on the handle, all that kind of stuff that, that probably is an amateur game we haven't spent enough time looking into because it was more important that you have a bat in the bowl on a field and then go home because you've got to do it all again tomorrow. So you've got people that are... You know, you're up at five o'clock to get to the gym. You then work at a nine to five. You're at training for five thirty or six o'clock. You're not finishing till eight eight thirty. The last thing people want to do is sit around and, and talk a bit of tactics. Generally, in the cold and the dark by that stage as well. So, yeah, the the game is is changing, and the more contact time you get with players, the the more accessible that footage and stuff is as well. And and they can sit down and do that stuff at, at home on their laptop. And yeah, I just think it's it's going to be a real growth area for the women's game. And, and sort of back to your own personal stuff, just once again, you, we mentioned the White Ferns experience before you sort of were out, that was earlier on in your career, then you were out of the side for, for about five years, finally, you know, worked your way back into the squad and then in 2019 and, and injured in that game. I mean, firstly, that must have been really gutting. And then I guess, you know, is, is earning your way back still a, a really big motivator for you? Yeah, it was definitely pretty disappointing. That's yeah. for sure. That that wasn't at all how I how I quite saw saw that game panning out. And yeah, it was just one of those. Uh, yeah, I guess a little bit of shock that, that that's happened. I'd, I'd been reasonably injury free in terms of big injuries. You always, I think, you're always carrying little niggles here and there. But 
been been pretty injury free for for years. Had been been feeling pretty good with it, and yeah, I, I do tell people it's like oh, I didn't expect to to turn up and and be in tears twice on an international cricket field in the space mm-hmm. of one game. So got a bit choked up in the in the national anthems with friends and family sitting in the crowd and. And just that moment of being able to reflect on heck, you worked so hard for for five years, and and it probably got to the stage in my career where I just thought it was never going to happen again, and and that potentially was actually really helpful. It just took all that outside pressure off. I wasn't trying to impress anyone. I wasn't trying to play a certain way to try and fit into a certain box. I was just playing because I loved it and playing in the way that that suited me best. And yeah, it was almost just that really enjoyable way to play. The game, and then the, the I guess the phone call kind of came out of out of nowhere, and that's a bit of a whirlwind. From there, you get into camp, you have a few few days together, and and then you you know you find yourself out there playing international cricket. So yeah, it was it was pretty exciting to to be part of. It was an odd feeling of of feeling like an old hand at it in in terms of of age and and some of the players that that had been in that white men's squad for a wee while but, but kind of looked at me and said, oh, you know, you've been here, done that, you know, you've, you've got the T-shirt. And it's like, yeah, but I haven't played for four or five years. Mm-hmm. You guys have had your whole international careers since since I last played. I definitely feel like new kid on the block, you know, new coaching staff, new support staff. Yeah, I don't, I don't quite know what I'm doing. I'm following your lead here. So it was a bit of a, a, bit of a mix. And then, yeah, to, to end up injured and, yeah, I was trying to get um, Amy's attention, trying to wave her over, and she just keeps saying to me, now, like, your field's fine, it's all fine, you don't need to change your field. And it's like, no, no, I need you to come here right now. And it was only when I said to her, I said, I think I've broken my ankle. And, and there's some really good video footage of her. As soon as I say that, she just waves out to the dugout and gives it away like, she is no good. Nah, you need to get out here now. So, yeah, it was uh, a pretty, pretty awful thing. And then, you know, sitting in the sitting uh, in the depths of of Wellington Stadium and, and Sky Stadium and uh, our physio went out of the room to grab grab some ice and I'm there with the, the ground doctor and she walks back in and he's just being lovely and checking that I'm all right, just chatting away about anything under the sun to to just be really pleasant. And she walked back in and said, oh, I assume the doctor's explained to you that you're going to need surgery and it's probably a six to nine month you know, rehab period from that. And it was like, no. No, he hasn't actually mentioned anything of what this is, but thanks for that crushing news. So, yeah, home home on the plane the next day and, yeah, and for surgery a couple of weeks later. So it was a, a horrible time. Um, yeah, and I, I, I guess going through the, the rehab side of it, yeah, it was it was pretty hard going. I think I had the best part of two months um, in, a, in a moon boot, not able to put my foot down. Um, it, it definitely... Wore, wore pretty thin and it was it was pretty hard going and, and I think then when you start getting back into your training the motivation is purely just like well I want to play for New Zealand I've had this little taste everything I'm going to be so diligent with rehab so diligent with how I go about things all I want to do is play for New Zealand and then unfortunately it hasn't happened and, and hadn't um, yeah haven't had any real communication from New Zealand cricket around that and, and I guess I'm probably now back at that spot where if it happens, it happens. That's that's really nice. That would be wonderful. But it's probably it's not the the big motivating factor that gets me out of bed in the morning, purely because I I guess I know what it's like when that is your sole motivation. It it can wear it can wear you down a bit. It can be a pretty tough road to to just be training day in day out, slogging away with the only goal of trying to play for the White Ferns and potentially selectors aren't even looking anyway. So. It's almost going back to that, okay, you know, my career is not going to last for forever. How long roughly do I want to have left? What do I want to tick off? What's the, the kind of legacy you want to leave in a team? What is the What do I want to teach people? What do I want to leave people with? What little tidbits I need to pass on to people before I'm finished up? How do we win some titles for Canterbury? How do I make more of these Canterbury players white ferns prospects? How do I develop their careers along that? So when I do finish playing, I can actually sit down and and be really proud not only of the stuff that I've done on the field, and, and there's definitely a few little statistical things I'd absolutely love to to have the chance to tick off. But it's it is now I guess more around that, you know, what can I do for for Canterbury cricket before I'm done, and and I think that puts me in a really good place to actually go and play 
really good cricket because it's something I just love doing. So, yeah, it's it's definitely not always at the forefront of my mind. But, you know, when people start talking about a home World Cup and at the start of, uh, start of 2022 and a Hagley final, you start thinking, yeah, that'd be quite nice. That'd, that'd look like a really nice way to maybe not finish off a career, but it would be bloody nice to, to be able to tick that one off before I'm done. Well, look, we certainly don't want to preempt the finish of your, your playing career, but remiss not to ask about the commentary piece. So how, how did that come about? And do you think that is something you will do in terms of life behind the microphone after you, you know, you, you stick the spikes away for one last time? Oh, I hope so. I really do hope so. It is, look, it's, it's been, uh, it's been really good fun. It is something I genuinely enjoy doing. It's, it's probably out of the comfort zone enough that, that there are the butterflies and, and a little bit of stress that goes on behind it, but but in the comfort zone enough that it, that it is still really really enjoyable. So yeah, it's it's again been a little bit of a whirlwind. It was I think the start of 2018, and and one of the commentators pulled out for Radio Sport. Um, they were covering a White Ferns game, and it was going to be the the first time that they were going to use radio commentary over the live stream. And Leslie Murdoch just got in touch and said, "Hey, look, we're we're one short. Do you want to come and try a hand at this for for a day?" And uh, it went okay, and and there was some good feedback. So I did the the last couple of games of that series as well, and. I was pretty pretty worried about what it would be like commentating about look, some of my best friends as well are in that white friends group. So it was kind of like, heck, what am I gonna what am I gonna say if they drop a catch or or if they you know getting hit for six? This is this could be awkward. But no, it was it was a it was a great experience. And, and Leslie's been a real a real champion in, in terms of I guess a bit of a mentor in that space as well, but also just pushing me to to do things that I didn't think I I was capable of or, or didn't think that I possibly should be getting promoted into doing. So she she was a big driving force in getting me involved in, in Sky, and so was um, a few of the other commentators. And they they'd spoken to me on radio and done little interviews and said, hey, look, actually she she'd be quite good for this. So. Very, very thankful to, to them. And then since I've been involved with Sky, it's been, look, I'd, I'd definitely heard a few horror stories about how um, females in the in the media and females in the, the sports commentary realm, how they could get treated and that I should expect to make sure that I was getting people lunch and making lots of cups of tea. And, and I wasn't quite sure how that would how that would sit. I'm not generally one to to be too backwards about coming forward. So it was like, oh, do I just cop it because I'm the newbie or do I try and stand up for it and be like, well, no, I'm, I'm not your slave. I'm, I'm here to have a good crack at this. But I had absolutely nothing nothing like that. They were all just so welcoming and so helpful and just they just love what they do as well. So it was pretty a pretty cool environment to be in. When, and I always say I think some of the best times is when you're just sitting around off mic and just some of the the conversations that go on about cricket, what's happening in the middle team selections, and you just you know you kind of sit there and you pinch yourself and you think, hey, here comes I'm sitting here with some of the legends of the game, just talking about cricket and and how lucky am I? So yeah, it's it's something that I have I have loved doing. I, I loved being involved with Sky. I think they they were really a really helpful supportive bunch to be involved with, and, and a really nice start to my career. And and now obviously. They're, they're not involved with with cricket um, that's getting played in New Zealand anymore. So I'm I'm hopeful that some other opportunities will will crop up, and and I'm really hopeful that it is something that I can I can do for a long time, and and hopefully show that there is a space for for females in media, there is a space for females in in cricket commentary, and that actually no matter kind of what you look like or or what your opinions are, if you can put them away in a in an articulate in an articulate way and, and get your point across and you can fit in with a team and you're passionate about what you do, then actually there is a there is a place for you in sports media. So yeah, it's it's been awesome to be involved with and, and potentially it has really helped my, my cricket as well to just have something that is so much fun to go and do it still being super involved in cricket. Obviously you get to watch a lot of cricket as well, which is which is great. And it's look, it's really nice to be paid to watch cricket as well rather than just sitting at home and, and, and telling my family and my friends what I think about the game. It's it's nice to get to, to do that on a slightly bigger stage and and be looked after for that. So yeah, it's look it's it is pretty close to, to dream job and, and still every time I, I get the opportunity opportunity to do it it's, it's a little bit of a pinch myself moment so yeah it's it's 
it's been a bit of a whirlwind, but I'm definitely keen to keep doing it for as long as I can. Well, look, that's an awesome way to end the podcast. Before you do go, though, where will we be able to see you on a field? So when does the, the first game schedule to start? And also, where can people find you on social media as well to, to follow your musings on the game? Yeah, excellent. We, we get started to our one-day cricket gets started with the 21st of November, and then we play. We're pretty sporadic with that. We play all the way through till uh, the 13th, 14th of March. I think the finals the 28th of March. So our team games are, are pretty spread out, but they are they're played all around the all around the country. So hopefully that means that we'll get a few good crowds. I know we've got a few home games as well, which is always nice. And then our our T20 Super Smash stuff. We don't get start start until after Christmas. So I think. The 29th, I think, is our is our first game, which is yeah, it's it's nice to not be trying to cram it in before and after Christmas. It's nice to have a bit of breathing room. I think this is my first New Year's Day off, or going to be my first New Year's Day off, and in, in 14, 15 years. So I'm pretty excited about that to have the chance to to put my feet up and just watch some cricket through that patch. But yeah, it's it's getting close now, and I'm sure these next few weeks will fly by by the time we we get started and everyone's just just itching to go so fingers crossed for some nice weather and and we'll be right into it cool and where can people find you on twitter or instagram or what's your preferred uh, social channel uh look either either works for me they can definitely find me i couldn't tell you what my instagram handle is to be really honest and that's poor i'm a new convert to, to instagram but i do try my best to to chuck some cricket content up on there as well um but Twitter is probably where you'll find some of my more out there opinions. That tends to be the place where, where everyone chucks opinions at one another. So, yeah, can definitely, look, if people want to have a bit of a chat about things, they can definitely hit me up there. Um, Frankie Max 71 So if you, if you want to talk cricket or you want to tell me my views on cricket are absolute trash, then that's where you'll find me. No worries. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. All the very best for the season with the magicians and in the commentary box. And look, hopefully um, getting back into the White Ferns reckoning as well. But look, thank you very much for your time on, on the Top Order podcast. Hey, no worries at all, guys. Thank you very much for having me. Great way to spend an evening. Thanks for tuning in to the Top Order podcast. Before you disappear from our feed... If you're a new listener, please do go and check out the back catalogue. We've spoken recently to New Zealand coach Gary Stead. We've got Graham Thorpe. We've got Shane Dietz. We've got Barry Richards, Shane Bond, Colin Miller, all in the back catalogue. You can find the details www.thetoporderpodcast.com. We're the Top Order Podcast on Instagram, although we're still really figuring that out. We're at Top Order Pod on Facebook and Twitter. So don't be shy to jump on. Give our tweet a share or a retweet and we'll see you next week.